Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda K. Lindenbaum, Zichron Levracha, is the research arm of our high school where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education that are central to the modern Orthodox community. The Grand Conversation podcast features in-depth discussions about the work of Machon Siach. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School, and co-director of Machon Siach. Our producers today are Rabbi Avi Bloom, director of technology at SAR High School, and Phil Raymond, the director of media here at the high school. We're recording this during the school day with an arts festival going on, so you'll excuse if there is some musical interludes during the podcast. That's the reason why. Uh, We're thrilled to be able to record in person together with uh, my two guests. First, on today's podcast, we're privileged to host Dr. Jeffrey Rubenstein, really one of the leading scholars in the field of Talmud study today. He is Skirball Professor of Talmud and Rabbinic Literature in the New York University Department of Hebrew and Judaic Studies. His dozen books and dozens of articles focus on Talmudic stories, the development of Jewish law, the holiday of Sukkot, and various topics in Jewish liturgy and ethics. And more recently, he's written popular works on Agadah and narrative in the Talmud. He's also a proud SAR high school parent with two children who are SAR graduates and two children who are current students in the high school. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm delighted to speak to you today. Great. We're also fortunate to have a conversation today between uh, Dr. Rubenstein and the principal of SAR High School and dean of Machon Siach, Rabbi Tully Hartstark. This podcast is part of this month's issue of Inside the Conversation, where you can read Rabbi Tully Hartstark's programmatic essay on making sense of Gemara in the Yeshiva High School classroom. And we hope this podcast will add uh, to that conversation, to the article, and to the discussion about how we can best teach Gemara in our high school, something that we've been working on in Machon Siach for the last several years. Welcome back, Tully. Great to be here. Thank you, Shmuel. Thank you very much for coming, Jeff. Okay, I want to begin, Jeff, with you. Uh, and before we discuss some of your work and some of the, the um, academic tools that you feel like could be translated and incorporated into a high school uh, Gemara classroom, I wanted to begin by introducing you to our audience a little bit and by asking you, how you came to study Talmud and how that became your passion and your vocation. What was your first encounter with Gemara study? And when did you realize that this was going to be your lifelong field? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I first encountered Talmud in seventh and eighth grade. I went to a Jewish day school, yeshiva school, and that's when we started Talmud. And so I learned whatever a seventh and eighth grader learns of Talmud. But it, there was then a hiatus uh, because I did not go to a Jewish high school. There wasn't really one in my area on the south side of Chicago where I grew up. I went to a kind of prep school. Um, and it was really in college. My freshman year of college, I signed up, I'm not even sure why, for a couple of Jewish studies courses. Um, I had a good background from, from day school and from Hebrew high school and from the shul. And I became very interested in these courses and uh, also just college life, academic life in general. I could see myself being involved in the life of the mind and teaching in research. I I wasn't sure what subject. 
But I went to Israel my sophomore year of college to Hebrew University, the Rothberg School for Overseas Studies, which is a program back then. I guess it's still a program now. And took um, a Talmud class in the regular university. My Hebrew was pretty good from day school and from Ulpan. So I took all my courses in Hebrew in the regular university. It was an academic introduction to Talmud course. And I began to really enjoy Talmud and get into Talmud, love Talmud the way, you know, many of us who enjoy Talmud, even from yeshivas, like the study, the logical argumentation, the varying textualities, the diversity of sources. Uh, so I, could, I saw myself going into some area of Jewish studies. I wasn't 100% sure it was Talmud right then, but over the next couple of years, I took few other courses in Jewish studies and studied some Talmud on my own and decided I would like to try that out as my academic field. So I went to JTS, Jewish Theological Seminary, to do a master's in Talmud. And that's where I really um, became much more convinced that that was going to be the academic area for me and went on then to do a PhD. All right. Thanks, Jeff, for that background, which is really um Incredible in the sense that for for Tully and me, who spent many years of high school and and beyond focusing on the study of Gemara, um, for for someone who kind of had a hiatus, like you said, to then develop into kind of a foremost scholar, is is really mind-boggling uh, and and impressive and inspirational. Yeah, well, you know, doing a master's and do a PhD was six or seven years of super intense study, almost full-time study. So that was essentially similar to a, a yeshiva immersion for, for many years. It was just in an academic environment. Yeah. So it is an important message, though, I think, for a lot of our students, that uh, it can be further along in your high school career and even starting post-high school. Um, and not feel like it's too late to really engage re seriously in, in Gemara. Yeah. Make, make, a, make a life, a career of it. I think that's true of just about any field. You know, you're, for sure, if you're dedicated and you have the Zitzfleisch and the industry, you can become a scholar of Judeo-Arabic literature if you've never studied it before. You know, it's a commitment, yeah. Uh, Tilly, I want to turn to you in a little bit uh, about your paper, which really hopefully will then bring us back to some discussion of uh, some of Jeff's thoughts about uh, academic Talmud and its role in the classroom. Uh, I want to ask you to describe what you mean in your paper when you talk about making sense of Gemara in the high school classroom. What are some of the ways in which you try to have the Gemara make sense? And what role do you see academic studies playing in your own learning and in your teaching in order to help make sense of the Gemara? I appreciate that question. I would uh, start by going with a little bit something autobiographical. Yes, um, I did spend an, a number of years in yeshiva. I took Gemara, of, um, you know, tried to take Gemara of learning very seriously. When I started out as a high school teacher, uh, that's what I hoped to do: is to teach Gemara, and I did that for a number of years. Um, over after a number of years of teaching, um, thinking about my students in the classroom, I actually started to note that some things were very hard for me, difficult for me to explain to students in a way that was uh, clear for a student who's just uh, starting in the early years of learning Gemara. Um, how did these lines make sense to 
uh, someone who is a modern Orthodox kid living in the tri-state area in uh, what was then the 20th century. Uh, how does that work? And that was the, the, the beginning question, which for a number of years uh, resulted in my stopping to teach Gemara and focusing more on Tanakh. Um, it, uh, and I came back to it uh, with a very different mindset, thinking about that before I prepared the new Gemara. So it, uh, I started to teach Masechet Kiddushin, and the first words of Masechet Kiddushin are Ha'isha Niknet, that a woman is obtained, uh, which raises questions on the very first day and the very first few minutes of 10th uh, grade Gemara, because uh, that is a very different sensibility than the ones that than the one that our students would have growing up in a world of uh, gender equality and opportunity. And how do you think about that? And you look at the first lines of the Gemara, and it talks about the difference between Haisha Niknet and Aish Mekadesh. And when I'm not thinking about that question on the minds of students, I can uh, glide through some of those sentences. Um, and for me, just as a teacher and not living in the university, not an academic, it was, at, it was thinking about my students and how they would think about these lines that caused me to think uh, to consider um, the, the text in that kind of way. What is the difference between Kinyan and Kiddushin? What's the Gemara actually trying to achieve um, in pointing out that distinction? And that led me to some academic work that wanted to take that kind of question seriously. Okay, good. So before we dive further into into that, I wanted to first define terms and maybe ask Jeff to help us define those terms. Uh, Jeff, how would you describe the academic study of Talmud, and in what ways would you differentiate it from the study of Gemara in more uh, traditional yeshiva settings? Okay, well, the the academic study of Talmud is simply the way Talmud is studied in a university, and therefore it's studied the same as you would study any ancient text or many, uh, maybe any text in general, that it, it, is, it is understood to have developed in a specific historical context. There should be no supernatural considerations involved, revelation or prophecy or something like that, making the text sacred or different than any other text. And it is studied with philological tools, that is the attempt to understand the language accurately and precisely, historical tools, and it could be any other kind of approach that you would uh, approach any other text. So, um, you know, it, it, an academic approach to Talmud is in principle no different than an academic approach to Plato or an academic approach to Rambam or, or any other similar uh, text that we've received from the past. Okay, so that begs the question, if we are teaching in the yeshiva high school setting to uh, students who were also uh, in Lumude Kodesh, in Judaic studies, trying to impart affective goals about uh, some of the uh, sacred quality of the text. Can we, can we actually bring some of the tools of academic study of Talmud into the high school yeshiva classroom? Maybe I'll start with you, Jeff, to see which of those tools you think are relevant, or if you think that question um, is, is on its face problematic? No, I mean, I think it's a very good question. I think it's one that we should, ad should address. Let me add to the previous answer first and then go on to that one. One of the main differences between academic study of Talmud and traditional study of Talmud is that they 
move in almost opposite directions. That is, in general, although this is not 100% exclusive, the traditional study of Talmud takes the Talmudic sugya as its point of departure, and it moves forward through history. That is, what does the sugya mean? How was it received or understood by the Rishonim? What did the poskim sak halacha about it, or what kind of theological, if it's not a halachic sugya, what kind of theological ideas emerge from it? And you kind of trace it forward from the Talmud to maybe the Rif, the Rambam, the Rishonim, into the Achronim, if it's a real halachic issue, Shulchan Aruch, and, and so on. Talmud study in the academy moves almost in the opposite direction. The, the sugya is the end point. I mean, it's the starting point for investigation, but it's the end point of the text. And you look at how the sugya came to be. What were the sources of the sugya? How did the Talmud interpret the Mishnah? What other Braitot or Midrashim figured into the uh, sugya? Um, and all the rest, the Rishonim, the Poskin, and so on, are not really part of Talmud, academic Talmud study. Because if you're studying the Rambam, it's part of medieval study, or if you study Shulchan Aruch, it's early modern study. You might use the Rishonim and the Poskim to help you understand something of the Talmud. Rambam's Psach might show he had a different text of the Talmud, or Rashi's understanding might clue you into different ways of understanding a problematic passage. But you're not so, so interested in what Rashi or Rambam or any of the Poskim said per se. So they move in that different direction. Now, having said that, I think that since understanding the sugya is part of what traditional study does. It's the starting point of it. You need to understand the sugya in order to, first of all, just Talmud Lashma, you want to understand what the Talmud itself is saying. And second of all, to understand how the post scheme related to it and how these ideas or these halachot, you know, progress down historically, academic study can contribute to traditional study by giving us a better understanding of the sugya. How did the sugya came to be? What were the sources of the sugya? What, uh, how did the Bavli understand the Mishnah, or what kind of other sources, Braitot, Midrashe Halacha, figured into the Bavli? And all of this contributes then to a better understanding uh, uh, of the Talmudic Sugya itself. I think this is where, at least for us, me and you, Tully, the, the, the benefits of a more academic approach really come uh, into our conversation and discussion and thinking about um, thinking about teaching, and that is when you start looking at the Gemara and, and trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah, I, I found the uh, the direction uh, directional issue that you're pointing to meaningful um, because when I think about it, it I think about it as a bridge. I have uh, s students in a classroom, and we're um, in SAR at uh, you know this 21st century point in time, and there is a uh, we have a we've been learning. A Gemara that's been around uh, and, and you know for 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 a very long time, and uh, describes a world that's very different than the worlds that our students are living in. But the idea of it being eternally uh, meaningful is to be able to draw contemporary meaning from a, um, a, the Gemara that was put together a very long time ago. Which means that those horizons somehow have to be uh, fused and brought together in order to make contemporary meaning. I, when you talk about making sense, and I think it's important to note that the, the, the goal is not to, as, as a goal, let's bring academic Talmud in the high school, to the high school classroom. For me, the goal is to try to make the Gemara make sense in a way in which kids can, and the adults, can draw value and understanding of what 
Torah is trying to teach us, what the Gemara is trying to teach us in the world within which we live. And that can happen in different kinds of ways, but being able to make meaning of what the Gemara was doing and the generations that developed you know, f- from the Mishnah through early Amoraim, through later Amoraim, um, and how uh, our, uh, our uh, Tanaim and Amoraim interpreted text to draw meaning, to understand how we should live as Jews in the world, that's an inspiring process to see. And to be able to make that meaningful to kids today uh, can help them do the same. Uh, but in order to do that, it's important to understand what those texts might have meant or how to draw meaning from them in the context within which they were put together, which is a different kind of endeavor than to feel like, and I think it's also important to feel like it's a spiritual experience of its own when you're learning Gemara, but this is a mode of learning that can also be spiritual, or the different modes to be able to draw that out. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I would say that in, in traditional, at least my experience with traditional learning, is there tends to be a somewhat narrow focus on what is the halakha say, or those opinions that become the ones that the post-king accept. And while there's an awareness of all the other ones, they tend to be understated or underestimated, not studied as much. And, um, you know, what, what academic study does, or part of what it does, is give equal weight, say, to all opinions, try to understand them all, and then also sources that maybe were rejected, that were not accepted, but that exist in the Mishnah, in the Tosefta, in the Midrashay Halakha. So it's a way of bringing many, many more voices into the conversation. And to the extent that we value all of rabbinic tradition, and we consider that either sacred from a traditional point of view or historically relevant from an academic point of view, you know, we want to we want to have access to those traditions, and I think that's one thing that academic study does. That's what drew me originally to to exploring some academic studies because I came from um, uh, Yeshiva University and specifically the Shear of Rabbi Michael Rosenzweig there, where there was a premium placed on the range of views in the Rishonim, even those that are not accepted lahalacha. The, the Hava Mina of the Gemara, what the Gemara initially thought, and the value in kind of exploring what that what was behind that original thought, because that has inherent religious value and intellectual value in terms of understanding the concepts, the underlying concepts of the Sugya. And my initial foray into studying um, in a more academic bent was to uncover even more positions and even more voices and even more options that would make even more interesting and exciting and wide-ranging kind of conceptual uh, viewpoints in the Gemara. And that that definitely is what drew me in. But as I've taught in a high school setting, some of the the byproducts of, of exploring some academic research is that the, the focus on the text of the Gemara itself and trying to figure out what the Gemara is saying and how the Gemara uh, analyzed earlier sources in order to present the sugya as it does, that's really where I felt like there's been kind of this convergence where it's not just about finding more shitot or finding more options, but that there's also been the ability to, like Rabbi Hartstark said, make some sense of what exactly the Gemara is doing. The Gemara knows that, that when it asks this question 
uh, from an earlier source that the later Amoraic ruling doesn't necessarily fit perfectly with it. And it's reworking and reinterpreting and trying to help us figure out how we can put these two different sources together in a coherent fashion. Yeah, so just that's 100% correct. And again, just to take that to another level, I mean, another thing that I feel academic study contributes, because academic study is free, free of presuppositions that we have to follow Rashi, we have to follow Halakha, we have to look at the sources in a certain way, it opens other analytical possibilities. So a lot of times the Gemara is difficult. Um, some sugiot flow very smoothly, some do not, and often we'll read a toast vote, and as we know, the toast vote will give us some explanation that from our point of view today, I think feels kind of forced, or does not feel really satisfactory. The toast vote are doing the best they can to make sense of a Gemara, or often a contradiction between Gemaras. Uh, academic study, I feel, has de- developed a lot of other tools to get to more satisfactory explanations for difficult issues in the Gomorrah, difficult sugiyot, they don't flow well, where the Rishonim, you know, do their best, but not having access to sources or points of view cannot really solve them in a satisfactory way. So in that sense, it's almost like getting to a pshat of the sugya, and like we might say that the pshat of the Torah, the pshat of the Nach is, is different than the Midrash, but still has value because we believe the text has value, and the pshat is one way of approaching it. I think you have the same thing with the Talmud. I think that one of the very, uh, very important uh, strategies uh, to draw on is the, the being conscious of um, the layers within the Gemara and the different voices in the Gemara and the passage of time uh, from when the sugya be- when when the statements in the sugya begin or in the Mishnah, and to uh, the completed sugya in the end, and that. Uh, mindset offers lots of uh, opportunity. One of the things that I find very significant is the role that it plays in student questions. Because um, I, I almost can articulate it as a goal, that my hope is that when students, students sometimes can read a Gemara, adults can read a Gemara, where it feels like, I don't understand this, uh, I would have said something different. The most obvious thing to me would have gone down this path, and the Gemara went down that path. At that moment, you can just decide, okay, that's the Gemara, and move on. Uh, But what uh, parts of the academic strategy or trying to uh, tease apart the different layers in the sugya allows us to think about is that thing that is bothering us or might be bothering a 10th or 11th grader is actually not just, oh, that's a question, I don't get it. It's that's the core of the sugya where the Gemara has decided, the Gemara goes in a particular direction where you could have gone in another direction. Actually, well, let's go back for a second now. Let me reread that Mishnah. If you just read the Mishnah and didn't read the Gemara yet, how would you have interpreted that Mishnah? And that opens up, uh, it, it makes actually uh, one kind of, uh, what seems like a two-dimensional uh, writing on a page into a very dynamic uh, development over the course of time, and you see you know, the Amoraim wrestling and the the uh, the Stamina Gemara itself, like wrestling with um, text and value and a question and trying to figure out how to put all of that uh, together in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, really, that you are have kind of flagged what is the foundation of academic Talmud study, which is the separation of the strata 
or the layers of the Gemara, and especially separating the Amoraic layer, that is Memrot, where you have Rabbi so-and-so said, from the Stam layer, usually the Shaklavitarya, the argumentation that is anonymous. And here is where the academic study does differ from traditional study, although again, not 100% exclusively, but that the assumption of academic study is the Stam layer is much, much later than the Amoraic layer. Traditional study will often take them as contemporaneous, the Amoraic layer being individual rabbis who speak, and the anonymous layer being Kol Yeshiva, or just some anonymous student. We don't know who, but at the same time. But the academic assumption is that the Stam is much, much later. It's the editorial later. I actually don't even like to say the Gemara says as some sort of personification of the Gemara, as though the Gemara is like, I mean, you know, it's the Stam or the editor who was the, the word Baal HaSugya, right? All these are kind of synonymous who is trying to make sense of earlier traditions. And I think that sensitivity will also clear up a lot of problems in the Gemara. Like you say, why the Gemara is going in a certain direction. It could be because the Stam has a different understanding of the Mishnah than the Amora or a totally different text of the Mishnah than the Amora and therefore is having trouble making sense of what the Amora is saying. So in a, a way, it, it allows us to see development. It allows us to see different perspectives, different texts, and a little bit more of what we were saying earlier, these different voices and different traditions. You know, I, I even see it as a kind of tikkun in some ways. That is, in almost a mystical, Kabbalistic sense, even though, as I said, academic study is not really religious. But, um, you know, some scholars have shown that the Stam had a different understanding, a different value you know, of, of the Mishnah because of its sensibilities than the Amoraim, but was forced to reinterpret all the Amoraim along its assumptions, which really took them out of their original context. And therefore, by, by understanding the main road, separating out these layers separately, we've recovered a whole different perspective, you know, different values that were kind of lost in tradition. That's why it's called a kind of tikkun. And some of those are, could be relevant, could be interesting, and you know, could be meaningful to students today. I just, I, I also, I'd like to make a point uh, about the paper and the and the project, and the idea of making sense. We've been talking a lot about academic uh, Talmud, and in terms of this project, the uh, um, academic Talmud is a uh, a tool um, and uh, a resource and uh, for understanding uh, sugyot, but the idea of making sense in a way that you can make the, the sugya and the learning that we're doing make sense is primary. That's the primary goal for us here. And if I can turn the tables um, and ask you a question, Shmuel, because I know that part of that is we learn lambdas, and I know that this has been uh, something that you're thinking about in terms of making lambdas make sense. Sometimes there's uh, terminology, uh, hakira, two sides, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and there's uh, a distinction that's made using certain certain language and the language itself within the lumdus can be opaque. So I'm curious to hear a little bit uh, from you for a moment about how you make that make sense. Sure, and I'm happy to share this with Jeff because I've now taught three of his kids and so I should at least full disclosure and transparency of what I'm teaching your wonderful children. Uh, so again, this is somewhat uh, autobiographical in that I, I grew up and, and became really uh, invested in learning Gemara through the lens of conceptual learning, brisker, lumdus, and what have you. And um, it, ad it has added a lot to my understanding of Gemara and also in terms of my religious and intellectual growth. So as I came to teach in high school, 
um, I, it was important to me to kind of share that and transmit that and and um, and and kind of give over that magical quality to to students. Um, but I realized that it required again, it had to make sense. So rather than just saying, you know, there's a difference between Ben Soror Mora, the wayward and rebellious son who is guilty of a capital crime, um, but it's not exactly clear what they did. So in, in the Briscoe world, they'd say, yeah, there's a halosh shame Ben Soror Mora. The, the reason why, the, ra- the way in which we, we kill the Ben Soror Mora is the, by, by kind of giving him a status versus the ma'asa'avera versus the act of killing or the act of, uh, of cursing or the act of uh, whatever you, you, you have. And kind of that, the, the brisker hakira kind of leaves it at that. And one of the things I try to do with the 11th grade students is to really explain those terms and show how they emerge from the text of the Gemara itself. And if you want to understand, especially the stam layer, the Gemara introduces these kinds of uh, really conceptual formulations. Atu ben soramora al cheto neharag al shem sofo neharag. The ben soramora, the Gemara says, is not killed based on the sin he has transgressed. He's killed based on the the threat that he poses or the the eventuality that he will become. And so, for me, the the uh, one of one of the projects that I'm I'm very invested in is trying to to make sure that the 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 lumdus that we transmit to our students is also rooted in understanding the Gemara and also makes sense and isn't just kind of jargon, isn't just kind of abstract terms, but that it actually helps understanding the sugya. Yeah, I mean, I think the the you know the the kind of brisker method, which I really am not an expert in by any means, except what I've seen from my kids that you've implanted in them, you know, a little more than that, but. Um, you know, that kind of abstract thinking, and as you mentioned, conceptual, you know, systems, systematic thinking, really occurs in that editorial layer, the Stam layer of the Talmud. And so it's anchored in the Talmud, but again, as we have, you know, found out through academic study, the Stam sometimes imposes these kind of abstract or uh, highly general ways of looking at things back onto the Amorayim or the Tanayim. So again, it's it's an opportunity in academic study to really trace these things and to see if those conceptual ideas are really true to the pshat of earlier opinions. And when you get to brisker ones, you want to do the same thing vis-a-vis the Talmud too. You know, do these really capture the machloket of the Talmud, or are they kind of a, a sort of distortion or abstraction? So, you know, in a way, we've taken that back even within the text of the Talmud itself. And I think some, in some places, you know, uncovered really interesting legal and conceptual development. Uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of circle back to, and you've already started to to mention the, these totally, is is some of the uh, the responsibility as a as a principal um, to both introduce our students to to uh, methods of learning or critical scholarship, both in in Tanakh and in Gemara, um, in a way that's that's uh, helpful over the long term. And also the the you know an inoculation kind of thing, um, but also uh, wanting to protect and and uh, have a sense of of wanting to preserve awe and and a sacred sense to the text. So uh, as we are discussing some of these 
academic tools or or separating out the layers of the Gemara in, in a way that's not necessarily common in a yeshiva setting, does that give you pause? Does that, does that, uh, is that something that you feel like we should be embracing across the board? Is that something that, that you, you have um, kind of ambivalent feelings about? Um, I would uh, say a, a couple of things. Uh, uh, first, I, I feel um, that the idea of experiencing Talmud Torah as something that is uh, sacred and um, and the idea of being sacred means that it's it's a part and there's something mysterious about it and something that is different than everything else. To be able to maintain that sense and that sentiment while you're learning uh, is extremely important. Uh, the idea to me would not be that there's a trade-off here, but these uh, ideas supplement each other. And in a certain respect, I would say um, what's most important to me is that um, is that our students become connected to, to study, to learning, and to Talmud Torah, and that can come in different kinds of ways. So on some level, it's also it has to do with me. Uh, I think every teacher is going to enjoy what they're doing in a way that resonates and feels most uh, personally meaningful to them. Um, so I don't think that this is, well, everybody should teach in this way. Actually, one of the things we hope to embark on in the coming months with the, with the our Gemara department is to use uh, this and some other material as a tool to have teachers reflect on, well, what actually is my own orientation, disposition to learning? What parts of this resonate? And for some, I would hope that the paper could be something that uh, uh, a reader identifies with and says, Thank, you know, this helped put words to something that I believe in. And for some, it just might be a foil or I realize I, I understand what you're saying. That's actually not what I think. I find a different approach uh, most meaningful and I would be very I personally would be very comfortable with uh, um, and I think it can be enriching for a student to go through SAR and have if you're learning on a high level experience some different approaches it doesn't all have to be uh, the same I want to conclude just by sharing with Dr. Rubenstein something that um, I have felt and, and I, I guess I, I wonder how you how you respond to this uh, kind of emotional reaction. I've read your uh, work and your papers and your books and have found them to be inspiring and enriching and not just um, a wonderful analysis, a literary analysis or a historical analysis of an Agadah or of the development of, of Sukkot. I've also found them to be religiously invigorating and inspiring. And, you know, in in classic yeshiva terms, it would be, I'd make a birchas Torah on, on that. And I wonder if, if that's something that's, that's meaningful to you, if that's something that you, you appreciate, if, if that's something you feel um, when you're engaging in the study that you do, that, that you have kind of not just kind of the academic piece, but also a, a sense that this is, um, this is contributing to the growth of Talmud Torah uh, big adult. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that. And I think that, you know, we, we would be disingenuous to say people who work on religious texts, <clears throat> or really any text, it could be Greek text, you know, Homer, um, in, the, in, in an academic way, do not find these texts inherently meaningful and think that they have something contri to contribute to today's society values or religions, if they're religion. You know, it's really only an antiquarian who studies 
text simply because they tell us some sort of historical information. And even in, uh, you know, in the universities, no one's interested in antiquarianism because it's irrelevant and we really don't care. So all of the study of the status of women in Greek society is also relevant to us today, or the people who study it want to make arguments on that basis. So, you know, it's a long way of saying when you study a religious text like Talmud, for sure you feel it's also part of Talmud Torah, and you feel that you are contributing to bringing out new meaning in these texts. So I definitely feel that. And, you know, I think of think Rashi Rashbam, when the study of Pshat became, you know, more accepted or really became new for um, for rabbis in the in the early Middle Ages, who before had approached Torah exclusively through rabbinic midrash, you know, Rashbam at one point says these are pshatot that are mitchachim bechol yom. You know, these are new uh, new interpretations of Torah that are renewed every day. And in a way, I think what we're doing, what academic study is doing, is bringing out the real meaning of some of these stories and in sugiot, other sugiot that were lost in the course of the Middle Ages due to different approaches but are still part, part and parcel of Talmud Torah for sure. So you can have historical applications of those for those interested in history in the university, and they can certainly contribute to spirituality values today and Talmud Torah for those who are interested in it from that point of view. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, Tilly, for a wonderful conversation. We're looking forward to the opportunity of learning from uh, Jeff Rubenstein, and I want to encourage everyone to... Uh, check out uh, Rabbi Hartstark's paper in this issue of Inside the Conversation and to continue the conversation about making sense of Gemara in the classroom and the role that different methodologies, including academic studies, can play in making sense of Gemara in the Yeshiva High School classroom. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.